myself I belong to folks what uh, what we're doing this evening we're going to be uh, we're going to be doing our Good Friday service this is generally a smaller service and uh, our goal is to be kind of contemplative um, and so we looked at we look at scripture and we sing and we look at scripture and we sing um, today I, I we're going to kind of continue our series where we we're talking about the idea that that everything that we celebrate on Good Friday, everything that we celebrate on Easter, this is all kind of a culmination of what Jesus did for us, what God did on our behalf. And that is just this awesome thing. I mean, it's fantastic. It's, it's worth celebrating. Um, it actually came about, I had a, a good friend, we, he and I were talking about a month ago, about, um, about Jesus, and, and he's kind of a new believer, and he said, well, I, I can't believe that God did all this on my behalf. As bad as I am, as... As rotten as I can be, God did all of this on my behalf. And, and so as we get into Good Friday, um, to get us in the mindset of this, um, I, I, anybody notice it's snowing? Anybody feel a little betrayed? Um, it, it's like we, we've wandered into Narnia, you know, where it's always winter and never Christmas. Um, and it, I mean, literally, it's been piling on and snowing like crazy and cold. I mean... Oh my gosh, it's been cold. I, I read that Haver is having the worst winter in the entire country, which means we beat Haver again in one area. Um, <laughs> but, but it's so cold and nasty, and then the sun comes out, and it starts warming the earth, and everything starts melting, and all of a sudden you can see your lawns again, some of us. Um, and, and all of a sudden it looks like it's going to be spring. And now this. It, is, it, is, it felt like it was about two degrees today. And now it's blowing snow. It's not even just snowing. It's not pretty snow. It is cold, nasty, blowing snow. It is a betrayal. And like as we get into this text, like as we look at the crucifixion, as we look at the arrest, the trial, all of this, I, I can't help but think that the disciples, that all of the Jewish folks around Jesus were seeing a long-running winter where the nation had been subjected by one group or another. Um, the religious leaders were crushing the people under like the burden of new rules and, and obligations, and God seemed so far away. And then all of a sudden, God stepped into their midst, and the sun shined, and the snow began to melt, and the world seemed right, and the sick were healed, and the lame walked, and the blind saw, and some dead people even came back to life, and people said, oh my gosh, God is here. And then Good Friday happens. And then Jesus is arrested, and then Jesus is tried, and then Jesus is scourged publicly, and he's crucified, and they put him in the grave. And i got to think that for the disciples, for, for everyone around him, it was like the snowstorm suddenly hit again. And you're thinking, oh my gosh, we can't go back to this. It was supposed to be better now. 
And so as we get into today, like, bring your mindset there. Like, this is where the disciples were. And this is this whole ordeal, this whole ugly story. And that's what it is in the ugly story. Like, we're going to work our way through um, Luke's account of, of the passion narrative. And it is an ugly story. Um, it's simultaneously beautiful. Um, but this whole ugly story happened on your behalf because God loves you so much that he would go to any distance to make you right with the Father again. Like, like he would go to any distance to reconcile you. And so we're going to continue singing. Uh, Jeremy's picked out some very good songs for us. And uh, we're going to be continuing to worship. And, and I don't, do they need to stand up? I guess you'll tell them, right? It's <laughs> You're in charge. Uh, I'm going to sit down. Let's go and let, let's sing some more. All right. Well, I, if you guys want to stand, you can. If you want to sit and contemplate and listen to me attempt to sing these songs, you can. Uh, whatever you want. This song is called Manasaurus. Sorrows, Lamb of God, I Begin our, our look at um, Good Friday uh, with the wrong text, uh, and I'm going to jump to the next. And it's backward. It's okay. I got it. Um, and, and so, what's going on? This is uh, Monday, Thursday. This would actually be yesterday in the church calendar. And what's happening at this point is Jesus um, has gone with his disciples um, to to pray, and he's going to pray because because he's overwhelmed, because he's scared. Because, because he knows what's coming. And, and the disciples are with him, except for Judas. And Judas has gone off to sell him um, to the temple authorities. He's about to be arrested. He knows that this is the beginning of an ordeal. And, and so as, as they're going out to the Mount of Olives, um, this is outside of the walls of Jerusalem. And we talked about this last Sunday, that from the Mount of Olives, you can see the east gate of the temple. And that's where these guards would have come from to come and arrest Jesus. And, and so as Jesus is there praying, like they're there, they can see the city out in front of them, and there's the, valley, the Kedron Valley, which is called the Valley of Death in the Old Testament, um, is right there between them. And Jesus is about to pass through the Valley of Death and go and be tried. And he's there talking to God. He's spending his last moments as a free man praying. Um, and he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. When he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. Now, what Luke includes is sort of a compressed version of the story. If we read the Matthew version, he actually asks Peter, James, and John to go and sit with him while he prays because he's so um, overwhelmed he just needs a friend with him. And he says, watch with me while I pray, and they fall asleep. And Jesus prays, um, and, and Luke is, is, includes kind of the, the most powerful line in the whole thing. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw away and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not your will, or not my will, but yours be done. Um, the cup that he's referring to is the cup of God's wrath. Like, this is, 
this is the wrath that is accumulated um, like, like against sin, against all the injustice, the brokenness, the oppression, the, the evil, like our, our wicked thoughts, our rebellion against God, the times that we decide that we are God, the times that, that you've done the wrong things, the times that I've rebelled, the times that all of us have been, have been wicked, like all of that wrath is piled up together and, and Jesus is, is going to be given this cup. Like it's going to be poured out on him. He's going to receive all of God's wrath on our behalf. And he knows it's coming, and he's afraid. And, and he says, you know, hey, your will, not mine. But if it's possible, I don't want to do this. Um, but I'll do what you want me to do. Um, Jesus is very afraid. He's, he's broken in it, actually. Um, oops, wrong way. Um, and... There appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. So, like, the disciples have not stopped watching with him, and he has an angel come and sit with him and, and watch with him as he, prepares to go, um, as he prepares to go to his trial. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. And actually, in Matthew's account, we find where he stands up and he says, Hey, they're here. It's time. You know, it, it, the third time he wakes them up, he says, They're here. Like, we're, you know, you, you, you slept through it. Like, the time has come. They're here to arrest me. And Jesus would have known that because sitting on the Mount of Olives, he would have watched these guards with their torches exit the east gate and walk the paths down through the Valley of Death, the Kidron Valley, and up into the Mount of Olives to come and get him. And so he watched these people coming to arrest him, and he prays, and he's so overwhelmed with stress and fear that the capillaries in his skin break. Luke is a doctor, and apparently he knew something about this. Like, like, and sweat, like he, he literally sweat blood because he was so you know, overwhelmed with what was coming. Um, and the crazy thing, now watch this, the crazy thing about this story, the crazy thing about the fact that Jesus is there and he's watching it come at him and he's watching it knowing and he's saying to the Father, God, if there's any way to not receive the cup of your wrath, like all of that watching it premeditated, knew it was going to happen, it was on your behalf. I mean, it was, it was literally for you. Like he sat there and waited for it to come because he knew that for you to be right with God, somebody had to take your punishment for, for you. Because you can't. We can't climb our way up to God. Like, we can't reach him. So he stepped down to us and made a way. And this is the way. And it wasn't easy. It wasn't fun. Um, but it shows how very much God loves us. Um, how far he'll go on our behalf. We're going to continue to sing. We're going to continue to sing Man of Sorrows, uh, starting in verse 3. Sons of heaven, God's own Son, to purchase and redeem, and reconcile the very ones who nailed him to that tree. Know that rugged cross, not salvation, where your love poured out over me. Now my soul cries out, Hallelujah, praise and honor salvation where your love poured out over me now my soul cries out alleluia praise and honor unto thee praise and honor unto So, um, 
Jesus wakes them up. They're here. Judas walks up to him and, and kisses him as a sign that this is the man you're after because it's dark, right? It's Montana in the country kind of dark. And, and so Judas comes up. And actually, we talked about this on Sunday as well. It was very not that unusual for a master to kiss their, their uh, disciple. It was, it was something that would happen. It was a show of affection. It was a show of, of honor. Um, but for a, a disciple to kiss their master was unheard of. Like, not unheard of. It was rare. It was something that seldomly took place. Like Judas was taking a liberty here. And he was taking a huge liberty because he's about to sell Jesus. Um, and that's what happened. Like Jesus is sold into, into the hands of the enemy. And um, Peter draws a sword and tries to chase off the guards. And, and Jesus heals the man he hits uh, with a sword. Like puts the guy's ear back on. Judas, or Peter cut his ear off. And Jesus, you know, Jesus puts it back on and says, Hey, I didn't come here to die this way. I came here to die like for you, but not here. And, and like, again, could have stopped it at any time, was in complete control. And the disciples ran away, um, all of them, just turned tail and ran. And, and Peter and John regrouped and followed. And so actually Peter and John followed Jesus to the trial. Um, they were the only two disciples in the courtyard. And Peter actually swears up and down at a servant girl. You know, hey, were you with that guy? And Peter swears up and down, I didn't know that man. I have no idea. Leave me alone and everything else. And like realizes that he's denied Christ and he runs off weeping bitterly and, and is broken and ashamed. And Jesus, having been betrayed by his friends, having been rejected by one of his closest friends, stands there at his trial. And before they put him on trial, um, they, they blindfolded him. Now, the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept asking him, prophesy, who is it that struck you? And they said many things against him, blaspheming, blaspheming him. This is Jesus through whom all things were created. Um, Jesus, the word of God. Jesus, who was praised by angels since before the creation of the world. Angels surrounded him and, and sang his praises constantly for untold eons. I mean, this is Jesus, the precious, like, beloved Son of God, and surrounded by, by hired hands, he was, he was beaten and mocked, um, made fun of. Jesus, who healed the sick, um, who, who made a, withered man, or a man's withered hand complete, you know, the folks around him, you know, beat, beat him with their hands. And, and I mean, again, as we go through this, for you, right? For those of us who, who, know, who know we're not good enough to reach God on our own, who know that we need God to save us, this is for you. Um, it comes to the trial. When day came, so like overnight he's held, um, the assembly of the elders of the people gathered together, both chief priests and scribes, and they led him away to their council. So he stands before the Sanhedrin, and they said, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will not believe, and if I ask you, you will not answer. Um, but from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand um, of the power of God. So they all said, Are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, You say that I am. Then they said, What further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own lips. Now watch this. They come and they accuse him. First off, they're accusing him illegally. Um, and this trial um, was held in private. Um, like they're before the council, but they're not before the whole council. We learned that in Matthew's Gospel, that this is... This is a select group of friendly people who they knew would reject Jesus. So it's a partial, like, illegal trial. It wasn't a public trial. There were no witnesses, like, that were able to actually testify against him. They tried to have testimony, and they all contradicted each other. And eventually they started questioning him again illegally. Um, and they questioned him, and they said, well, are you the Son of God then? And he says, you said it, not me. And they said, well, of course. He just said he was the Son of God. Did he? No, I mean, he said it all the time anyway, so, you know, neither here nor there. And he actually was, and so it's only really blasphemy if it's not true. But they respond, oh, well, there it is. We'll reject, you know, there it is. We'll arrest him. Like, he, that's it. What else do we need to hear? Um, gosh, it's unfair, isn't it? You all ever find yourselves reading the news and backing up and saying, 
I can't believe how unfair the world is. Like, in, and I mean, I swear, since I was a little kid, I was, that's not fair. And the line from every parent is, life isn't fair, right? And don't you hate hearing that? Because there's a part of us, an innate, built-in part of us that thinks the world should operate a certain way. And actually, like, like because it doesn't operate the right way, because it's broken, because it's messed up, because it's sideways, because it's polluted by sin, um, the Son of God stood in an unfair trial um, and, and was convicted illegally. Um, and again, for you. Um, this is a man who came knowing he would be convicted of our crimes, came knowing that he would receive punishment for our crimes. This sinless man, this, this Son of God, this this, you know, just one, you know, absolutely the most righteous man who ever lived, um, illegally convicted, um, so that you could be made right with God. Um, as awful as the story of the cross is, as unfair as it is, the coolest thing about it is that it is so unfair. Because what would be fair is for us to get our just desserts, right? And it's unfair because God forgives us. Um, we're going to continue singing, and we'll we'll see about the wonderful cross next. Like it is wonderful, because, wonderful because we're made whole. Um, it's wonderful because it's unfair. illegally convicted by uh, the Jewish leaders, and, and he's, again, um, put in a position where, where he's mistreated heavily by the folks you know, who have him, like the temple guards, and they send him to Pilate to be tried, and Pilate uh, takes him and tries him and realizes, oh my gosh, I can't convict this guy, he hasn't really done anything worth anything. And so he tries to appease the Jewish leaders, like he has Christ uh, scourged. This is where they, they would hang you up and they would, they would whip you. And, and the way they would do this, you'd have this big, long, like, like uh, whip. It'd be, you know, six, eight feet long with little bits of pottery woven into it, like broken pieces of pottery, like little bits of broken glass. And the guy who would swing this, this is like what he did. It was his job. He would swing it and it would hit and it would wrap and it would cut through the skin, and then he would turn the thing, and he would pull it, so it would cut as it came out. Um, scourging actually was so bad, it was illegal 
um, if you were a Roman citizen, you could not be legally scourged like beyond a certain point. Um, it was something that, that was often a death sentence. Like you would be scourged and it would just kill you. It was an awful, I mean, an astonishingly bad way to go. Like it was a terrible experience. And he did this um, to try and save Jesus. Isn't that a crazy thing? Like he was trying to keep Jesus from being crucified um, because that's what the Jewish people were demanding, that he be executed. And so he was scourged and, and brought out like humiliated and bleeding and... and um, Pilate said, hey, you know, let's let this guy go. He's been punished. And the people are, no, we don't want him released. Don't release him. Um, and then he says, well, wait a minute. During the high holidays, we always release one prisoner. How about if I release him as, and pardon him as this one prisoner? That's what I'm going to do. We're going to go ahead and pardon him. And the people who were present, like the Jewish crowds, like the leadership and, and the folks who had turned on him, like threatened to riot. Um, and they, they, you know, shouted and, and cursed and Luke records. But they all cried out together, away with this man, and released to us Barabbas. Now, Barabbas is generally considered that he was probably a Sakari. A Sakari was a terrorist. These were guys who would walk in crowds of people, and they would walk up to Roman officials or guards, and they would carry these long curved knives, um, and they would keep them in their coats. They'd walk up to these guys in huge crowds, and they'd stab them, and then turn around and walk away real fast, right? Um, and the goal was to make the Romans miserable about being there and to kill Romans, right? Because the Sakari's were terrorists, and they hated the Romans, like most of the Jewish folks did. And they wanted the Romans gone. And so when they turned, they said, well, we don't want Jesus released. We want a terrorist. We want a guy who, who you know, murders our enemies for us. Um, and there's some roots to this. If you go back um, about 500 years before Jesus was born, there was a man who came along. His name was Judas Maccabee. And the, at the time, the Jews were under subjugation of the Persians and the... Uh, the, um, or the ex-Greeks, excuse me. Um, and, and so these guys, like, they had subjected the, the Jewish people. They had them under their thumb. And Judas Maccabee was this man who led a revolt and, like, miraculously chased the, you know, chased the bad guys out of their country and won the nation independence for a little while. And, like, the Jewish people all thought, God is going to send a Messiah who will do that. He's going to win all our political victories for us, beat all the bad guys up. He's going to set the world right with the power of God's fist. And they're looking at this Jesus guy, and he ain't doing it. Um, he, he's not fighting back. He's allowed himself to be arrested. He's been scourged, which, I mean, the idea that you could scourge God, I mean, could you, you know, even imagine? This is like when my son gets mad at me and comes up and throws a punch because he's angry. You know, I got a hundred and... More than a hundred pounds on him. <laughs> I mean, he can't hurt me, right? Like he just can't. Um, the only way he could hurt me is if I let him. Um, and you know, they're looking at Jesus. This is not the man we thought he was. Um, give us what we want. Give us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, crucify him, or crucify, crucify him. Now, a man who, like, like again, he started an insurrection, he's a murderer. I mean, and this is essentially what Adam did, right? Adam started an insurrection against God. Adam's main deal, he said, you know, hey, I could be like God if I eat the fruit. Well, I'm in. I want to I be in charge. I want to understand what it is to be in charge. And all sin comes out of that. All sin is rooted in this idea that I can stand in God's spot and I can decide what's right and wrong and I can lead the way. And Barabbas is, I mean, he's a per, like the perfect example of what sinful man is, um, rising up and fighting against God. Um, and so they crucify him, crucify him. Now, so the call for a Jewish man to be crucified in the first century was huge. First off, because crucifixion is awful, right? Like, scourging is bad, right? I mean, can we, I, we can all agree, scourging, bad. Um, crucifixion is times a thousand. Crucifixion is easily one of the worst ways to die ever devised by man, and man is really good at coming up ways to kill each other. I mean, like, we are good at it. Like, creative and inventive in the way that we hurt each other because we're fallen and evil. Um, crucify him. But for a first century Jew to call for another first century Jew to be crucified, the Jewish people believed that when a man was hung from a tree, like crucified, there was a sign that God 
hated them. And they were so over who Jesus, you know, they didn't want anything to do with Jesus. They hated him so much that they wanted him put in a position where it was clear that God hates this man. And so they, they crucify him, crucify him. A third time he said to them, why? What evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked. But he delivered Jesus over to their will. Now watch this. We get a little analogy of what's about to happen, right? They release Barabbas, who's an insurrectionist, who's a murderer, who's, who's a wicked man, and he's freed, and Jesus is crucified in his place. That's kind of an odd thing, isn't it? And again, like what we see here is a little bit of Luke showing, you know, probably a little bit of God showing because God made, you know, lined the events up. Um, this is what happens on the cross. Jesus is crucified on our behalf, and we're let free. Do we deserve it? Not at all. But this was done for you because God loves you that much. Because God will go that far to make you right, to blot out sin, to bring you close to him. That is what Good Friday is about. It's about Jesus suffering this awful fate um, so that we can be forgiven, so that we can be freed. Um, let's continue to worship God and, and um, continue to sing about the wonderful cross. So Jesus is sent out to be crucified. Um, he's made to carry his cross out. And at this point in time, he's been, been severely beaten. He's probably bled about half to death. And on the way out to the cross, um, to the site where they crucify him, he collapses and he can't carry the cross any farther. And so the Romans grab a guy, Simon of Cyrene, and they force him to carry the cross the rest of the way because Jesus is, is exhausted at this point. And they take him out um, to this place called Golgotha, which is the place of the skull. And if you go to Jerusalem, there's two sites that might be Golgotha. There's one where like the side of the mountain looks like a big skull. Right? And there's a garden next to it, like a first century like garden. And there's a tomb site with, that's cut into the rocks about you know, a quarter mile from there, a little less than that. Um, and that's one site. There's also a traditional site where there's this giant rock in the shape of a skull. Um, and this rock is literally just cracked right down the middle in this huge, huge crack. And, and um, 
it's described in the Gospels that this has happened, but they take Jesus and they, to the place of the skull and they crucify him. And the, the way they would have done this, they would have put the cross out and they would have run a nail, like they talk about the hands, but the word that's used in Greek um, indicates finger to elbow. And so it's somewhere in there. Um, generally, when the Romans would crucify, they would go through the wrist, um, partially because it held better, um, but also because there's a nerve cluster that runs through your hand to your spine, and when they ran the nail through, it would pierce that nerve cluster. And actually, um, when that, like, like it's a biology thing, right? Like you pierce that nerve cluster, and it brings about excruciating pain that runs from basically your hand, and you lose control, and it claws up, and that's it. And like it runs all the way down your spine, and it is, it's pretty bad as I understand it. I've never experienced it. I hope never to. Um, so they, they ran nails through his hands, and then probably from behind his Achilles tendon, um, so he would be turned to the side so he wouldn't fall through. And there's a lot of different opinions about how crucifixion would kill you. Um, in some instances, like people argue, well, you hang and you suffocate, and so you would have to do pull-ups on the nails in order to bring yourself up to loosen your chest enough to breathe. Um, and so you would hang there when you need to breathe, you'd lift up. Um, that's a more of a discredit. I mean, it's possible that's the case. Some of it is you would just hang there and die because you would have been nailed to a piece of wood and you'd stay there for a week or two. Um, in this instance, because of the Sabbath, they didn't do that. They, they shortened it up significantly. Um, but they, so they brought him out. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. <clears throat> and when they came to the place that is called, called the skull, or Golgotha, there they crucified him. And the criminal, one on his right, and one on his left, and Jesus said, so he's crucified between two criminals, like he's amongst the unrighteous, the wicked, like he's crucified with the, with the guilty. Um, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I think about that. Like, these people are killing Jesus. I mean, nailed him to a piece of wood. They've hung him up, and his response is, Father, forgive them. I mean... One of my favorite songs um, talks about how, uh, you know, as much as the crowd that day, like, was there yelling crucify, and as much as the crowd that day was there cheering it on, and, like, the guards there were crucifying him, like, my own sin was a part of that, right? Like, it's easy to be high and mighty, but I was a part of that. You know, every time I rebel against God, every time I go my own way, every time I, I think, oh, well, God will be cool with it this one time, I'm a part of that, Um and he's saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But, like, like, I'm forgiven. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are king of the Jews, save yourself. There was, there was also an inscription placed over him, this is the king of the Jews. Um, so they're mocking him, and there's a bit of irony there, right? You saved others, now save yourself. But he's saving us. Like, again, he's hanging there, he's crucified, he's dying, saving us. Um, this was done on our behalf. This awful, awful experience was done so that you can be forgiven so that you can know God, so you can be made righteous. And literally what God does here is he looks at Jesus and he sees all of our wickedness. And then if we're in Christ, he looks at us and he sees all of Christ's righteousness. It's like trading the permanent record. Um, it's the most wonderful things that can happen to you. It is the most wonderful thing that can happen to you. And it was done on your behalf. Um, one of the criminals who were, hanging, who were hanged railed at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Now, there's a cool thing there that's easily missed, and this is one of those things that's been theologically parsed. This is a guy who knew he screwed up and was sorry. He looked at who Jesus was, and he said, this guy is God's Messiah, and he's innocent. And he says, just remember me when you get there. Like, you're going to heaven, remember me when you get there. And Jesus says, you know what? You are forgiven. 
Like we think sometimes I have to earn my way to heaven, but this guy has no chance to earn his way to heaven. I mean, he is on his way out. Like he hung on that cross. Jesus was there about six hours before he died. The thief, maybe six and a half. Tough to say. Um, The guy didn't earn it. He knew Jesus was the Son of God. He believed in him. He had faith in him. He was repentant. And he was forgiven. And you'll be with me in heaven for you. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to move mountains. You don't have to do anything. You have to have faith in Christ. And you're saved for you. The most wonderful gift you could receive. As we gather today, like to talk about the death of Jesus. Like, remember, this is something we should be thankful for. This is something that every morning we should stop and say, Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for carrying my sin on your back. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Let's continue to worship Christ. Jesus is hanging there, um, and it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour when the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two, and Jesus calling out loud, calling out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, and having said this, he breathed his last. And so Jesus hanging there, the sun goes dark, and the, the, there's actually kind of an interesting little bit of history. There's an ancient historian who records a solar eclipse around the same period, and like, like this is seen as kind of a corroboration. The sun goes dark, and there's darkness over the land as Jesus like, like hangs there. And in that darkness, um, you know, he hangs and he dies. And there's an earthquake, actually. Like, like this is a big deal because the earthquake plays into the later story. Um, but there's this great earthquake, and the, the curtain in the temple, this is a big deal, um, between the Holy of Holies. Now, the Holy of Holies is the place where God was said to manifest, where the Ark of the Covenant was kept, where you would go and you would pour out the blood of the sacrifice. And this, this Holy of Holies was broken off by a curtain, and that curtain represents this distance between us and God. We can't get close to God because he's holy and we're wicked. And, like, so you would never go in there once a year and they tie... Well, anyway, um, so, like, this whole thing to separate them. And when Christ died, um, the temple veil was torn. And it was this great symbol, like, hey, there's no distance between us and God now. All of this that Jesus suffered, he suffered so we could step into God's presence. Um, Jesus talks about how we can refer to God as Abba, Father, meaning Daddy, God. Like, we can take this personal, I know God, I know Jesus. Jesus calls me his brother because I believe in him. And all of this was so that we could be in that spot. So that, that we could know God, so we could return to the purpose of the creation, to know him and be his, his people. Um, and so six hours, Christ hands his soul over to God. And um, I, I read a great essay, and Luke doesn't cover it, um, but when they came about, and these guys are almost, you know, they're hanging on the cross, and they need to speed it up because the Sabbath is the next day, and you can't have a crucifixion on the Sabbath, which is really hypocritical. Um, they, they come along and they break the two thieves' legs and they would have gone into shock and then died very quickly. But Jesus, he was already dead, so they stuck a spear in his side. And it says that water and blood 
came out. And the reason that that was, when they came through and they speared him, is the spear would have entered his heart. Um, and the pericardial sac that it's contained in would have drained out along with blood. And what we saw there was they literally pierced Christ's heart um, when he passed. And, and again, to the heart of who God is, you know, Christ is pierced on our behalf. He's broken on our behalf so that we can be right with him. And now the centurion saw what had, what had taken place, and he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for his spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breasts. And all the acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. And so it comes to the end, and everybody realizes, Oh, wow, maybe we blew it here. Um, and the snow starts falling, and winter sets in again. Right? And you shake your fist at the sky and say, oh my gosh, except these guys only had themselves to blame. And they stood there. And honestly, again, I said it a second ago, I'm going to say it again. Um, every one of us, every time we sinned, every time we've rebelled, every time we've chased after things that aren't God, every time we've worshipped things that are, that are made, that we've earned, that whatever, you know, like any time we've worshipped anything that isn't God, like, we've been a part of this. Um... And we all go home at the end of the day saying, oh my gosh, what have we done? Um, and in reality, God did it on our behalf. In reality, Jesus died because he chose to die. Um, Jesus died because he wanted to be punished for us. Because he wanted to be obedient to the Father. Because he enjoyed it? No. But because he loved you. I mean, what else is there to say but thank you? Sacrifice have been brought near. Your enemy, you've made your friend. And pouring out the riches of your glorious grace, your mercy and your kindness know no end. Your blood has washed away my sin. Jesus, thank you. Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, now I'm seated at your table. Jesus, thank you. And lover of my soul. I want to live for you, lover of my soul. I want to live for you, lover of my soul. I want to Sin, Jesus, thank you. Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, now I'm seated at your table. Jesus, thank you. Jesus, thank you. I, uh, I'm actually going to break my pattern from every other year I've done this. Um, and I'm going to end with, instead of a line, a section from the Gospels, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end with something from Romans. I, I preached on this a few weeks ago. Um, but I, Paul, Paul nails it, right? 
For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, meaning that people rarely will die for a good guy. Um, Though perhaps for a good one, uh, excuse me, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. Meaning for someone you love you might die, right? Um, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Like while we were calling out crucify him, while we were there in the crowd watching it happen and cheering it on, while we were the thief on the cross next to him, mocking him like Christ died for you. When you were at your worst, Christ died for you. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were his enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now, now that we are, excuse me, much, ah, um, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we will rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Um, the reason I'm finishing with this is, like I've driven this, I've, this is the line over and over again. Like this is done for you. You don't deserve it. You didn't earn it. You can't do anything to have it come to you. Like, this is for you. Um, all of the pain, all of the sorrow, all of the weeping, all of the, the suffering, God turning his back on Christ, all of it was for you. Um, and when you were his enemies, it was you, for you, like all of it. Um, and so now on the other side of it, we're made right. Um, and as we go home and we wait for Easter and we, we wait to celebrate the resurrection and we watch the snow fall and we maybe try to think about what it was like for the disciples Like, sitting and thinking, what happens next? Um, Understand, you're reconciled. You're right with God. And we celebrate Easter knowing that in the end, um, all of us will come back. There'll be a physical resurrection. We'll all stand before God, and we'll be able to sing, thank you, Jesus, directly to Jesus. Um, And all you have to do is believe. All you have to do is repent. All you have to do is follow him. You don't earn it. It is an amazing gift. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray and and we'll head home before the snow gets too bad. Um, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us this evening. I pray, um, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would just bring to our hearts and minds just the magnitude of the gift of grace that we receive in Christ Jesus. The the magnitude of what Christ carried on our behalf. Lord God, I know that, that even if they hadn't nailed him there, um, Christ's love probably would have held him in place. Um, Father, he, he died for us, and we thank you. We thank you that you love us enough to send your Son, and we thank Jesus for being obedient and dying for us. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you that you did this for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a good weekend, folks. We'll see you on Easter.